Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, many thanks to Carol Bumbleow who has read the scriptures for us. She actually embodies those words that she has read for us this morning. And it's a great joy to see her face and hear her voice as she reads the scripture pre-recorded for us. Uh, we're grateful to Jeff and our praise team, all of our musicians. Uh, Allison, to you for your prayer. Shelby, thank you for your children's sermon. As you were talking and holding that doll, I couldn't help but remember uh, when our daughter turned seven years of age, we had a big neighborhood party, birthday party for her, and there wasn't a Cabbage Patch doll in the whole subdivision who was not wet with baptismal waters. And so I remember that and give thanks for what you have reminded us is so important today. Friends, if you have been with us over the last four or five weeks, uh, you know that we're right at the halfway mark of our series called Fruitful, having to do with the fruit of the Spirit. We're taking a, a close-up, in-depth look at these individual attributes, which Paul lists for us in Galatians 5, and 23, that Carol has just read for us. Each fruit is characteristic of a life that is increasingly dying to itself and alive to Christ, alive to the Holy Spirit. And today, you know that we've considered the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience. Love is joy. Uh, joy is love dancing, we know. Uh, peace is love resting. Patience is love waiting, as we said last week, or enduring. And this morning, I want to take for just a few minutes to talk with you about the fruit of kindness. Henry James, American author of the 19th century, once said there are three things in human life that are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. The third is to be kind. I think it was Mark Twain who said, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear 
and the blind can see. It's interesting, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was originally recorded, the word for kindness is Christos. It's very close to the word Christus, which is for Christ. But it's Christos, which literally means to be useful. It means to be constructive, to be beneficial, or perhaps benevolent. And what's interesting is in the Greco-Roman culture of the first century, the Greeks defined this word Christos as the disposition of one who thinks as much of his neighbor, her neighbor, as she does herself or as he does himself, and perhaps more thoughtful about neighbor than self. And when I think about that description of the word, it reminds me of Paul's counsel to the flock in Philippi, Philippians, this is Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3, where Paul advises them, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. What a marvelous text. When I read that text, I automatically go back to my childhood, I remember in the old Cokesbury hymn book, some of you are old enough to remember that brown hymn book, that there was a hymn in it written by Charles Meg that goes like this. Lord, let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. And the refrain, others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live like thee, Christos. That's how Jesus lived. I remember a scene from Mark chapter 6 where Jesus one night was just flat worn out from the demands, the burdens of ministry. He was at a point of needing some time to himself, some R&R, and so what did he do? He got into a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and with several of his friends, he crossed over the Galilean lake And when he got to the other side, no sooner had he docked the boat than this tremendous mass of people shows up. They knew he was coming. And Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says this, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is a kissing cousin to kindness. I love the word compassion. It literally means to be moved in your inward being, in your gut, to the point of action. What's interesting about that scene that we know is the feeding of the multitude is that Jesus was never too busy to be kind. Jesus was never so burdened that he couldn't be interrupted. And so he taught them The first thing that he did was to spiritually feed them. And after the teaching, you remember, he also noted that they were hungry. But it appears as though the need was greater than the supply. You remember the disciples advised Jesus, send them away. We don't have enough. But Jesus said, just bring me what you have. And apparently there was a kid who gave up his lunch, had a couple of fish and some barley loaves, The specific account says barley, that's the food of the poor. And Jesus lifted it up, broke it and blessed it, 
and everybody had enough with leftovers to spare. It is amazing what compassion can do. Kindness. Kindness not only sees the need, kindness actually does something about it. A friend of mine told me the other day she was working from home. Her 22-month-old son was playing on the floor while she was on the computer, and suddenly she said, I was overcome with grief. It's been a few months ago, but I lost my grandfather, and she said, I really hadn't had sufficient time to mourn the loss, and it just hit me, and I began to weep. Suddenly, she said, my little boy, not yet two years old, must have seen my tears because he stopped what he was doing, he climbed up in my lap, and he just sat there. It was exactly what I needed, she said, at the exact time that I needed it. It is amazing the instinct of compassion. It's amazing what kindness can do. There's evidence in this text in Ephesians that kindness is evidence of a tender heart. I love that that word, tender-hearted. In fact, it's mentioned in the final verse that Carol read for us, Ephesians 5, verse 32, which says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. We've mentioned that today is Memorial Day weekend, of course. Uh, You may not know that May 24th, this day, is also Aldersgate Day. It was on this day, May 24th, 1738, that John Wesley, the spiritual founder of the Methodist movement, had a life-changing experience. In fact, he described it in his journal as a moment, quote, where my heart was strangely warmed. He was 35 years of age. He'd been in the ministry for 13 years. But on this night, something happened that changed his life. He went to a Bible study one evening in London on a street called Aldersgate. Some of us have been there. We visited this very site. And he writes in his journal what happened that night. And I quote, In the evening, I went very unwillingly. That's interesting. He didn't even want to go to the Bible study. I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where someone was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. It was about a quarter of nine at night while he was describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ that I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And the assurance was given me in that moment that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It's fascinating to me that he admitted he didn't even want to go. Isn't it wonderful that God's work doesn't always depend on our willingness, but our simply showing up? At the age of 35, a pastor who had been a Christian all of his life, baptized as a little baby by his father pastor, 
He'd been a pastor for 13 years, but up until this moment, his faith had been largely cerebral. But on that night, Jesus infected his heart, and he never got over it, and he was never quite the same. A tender heart. Now, it's interesting in the text that Carol read that the counterpart, the antithesis of a tender heart, is a hard heart. If you look earlier in the same chapter, chapter 4, Ephesians verse 18, Paul warns his friends, the new converts in Ephesus, with these words. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do or as the pagans do in the futility of their minds, for they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, it's interesting Jesus saw the same kind of thing in his day. In fact, in Matthew 13, Jesus actually quotes the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 6 when he says these words, For this people's heart, this culture's heart, has grown dull, calloused. For they hear, but they do not understand. They see, but they do not perceive. A tender heart is one that is malleable. A kind heart is one that is pliable, that is nimble, that is yielding to the Spirit. But the opposite of that, a hard heart is one that is resistant. A hard heart is one that becomes insensitive and inflexible to any other will than mine. And I've noticed that it's the hard things that must break. It's not the soft things that break. It's the hard things that must be broken. Paul mentions the fruit that is produced by the hard-hearted and the tender-hearted. In fact, he gives us two litanies, two lists, a vice list and a virtue list in Ephesians. The hard-hearted soul produces fruit too, but it's bitter fruit. It's the kind of fruit that, that causes dissension, discord. There are six fruits that are mentioned. Wrath, bitterness, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, which he says, get this, grieves the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved by hard-heartedness? But then he looks at the other list, the virtue list. For those who have been forgiven, for those who have been set free, there is an alternative way to live. What does it look like? It looks like authenticity. It looks like honesty. It looks like integrity. It looks like gracious speech. We could use a dose of that. It looks like generous conversation that builds up rather than tears down. It looks like compassion and mercy and forgiveness. I think that's why this fruit challenge that we've been involved in the last month is so necessary. To pray for another person, to intercede for another person is the most loving thing that you can do for another human being. I think it's not enough to begin talking to a person about God. I think you have to begin by talking to God 
about the person. And and not just for those that we love, not just for our neighbors or friends, but to pray for those that we struggle to love, to pray for those who we might even consider to be our opponents or our enemies. Jesus says this is the true test of kindness. He says it in Luke chapter 6. That's the Sermon on the Plain. It's similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but Luke calls it the Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus says this. Listen to this. If you only do good to those who are kind to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend only to those from whom you expect repayment, what good is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything in return, and then your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Listen, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's tough to do, but that's the word of Christ, Christos. You remember the parable. Some of you remember the parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember this story? It's a very painful story, and to be honest, I don't care much about it because it hits a little too close to home. The context of the story, the reason Jesus tells this story is because of Simon Peter's question about forgiveness. How many times, asked Peter, must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then this is just like Peter. He answers his own question. He doesn't wait for Jesus to give the answer. He, he suggests seven times, thinking that he's being rather generous. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you're not even close. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I can imagine the expression on Peter's face, wait, what? I can't even compute that high. And Jesus implies that's the point, my friend. You're not to keep score. Love keeps no record of wrongdoing. And then Jesus told a story to make sure that Peter would never forget it. There was a very wealthy king who decided payday had come. He came to his stewards to settle accounts. He called in one particular servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, please understand, this is like saying a million zillion dollars because one talent was worth 19 years of wages for a blue-collar guy. And so he's in deep, and he couldn't pay the note And so the king did what kings do. He ordered this man and his family to be sold into slavery. But this guy got on his hands and knees. He begged and pleaded for mercy. And sure enough, the king relented, forgave him, tore up the note, and released him. No sooner had this servant been released, forgiven, that he goes after a guy who owes him a petty debt of 100 denarii. Now, that's 100 days' wages. And when this guy pled for his life, pled for mercy, the servant was hard-hearted 
He put him in jail. And as you can imagine, when the king heard about it, there was hell to pay. A guy forgiven 19 years couldn't seem to let go of three months. And he was imprisoned by his own bitterness. There is a disease that is more lethal than the coronavirus. It's the disease of a hard heart. I found out recently that the women at our healing housing ministry, which is a marvelous ministry that is managed by Tracy Levine, what a wonderful gift she is to that ministry. The women there apparently took on a new mission. These women are some of the most courageous people I think I've ever met. They decided that they wanted to participate in a ministry, so here's what they're doing. They've been writing individual letters each day to our graduating seniors. Handwritten letters, personal letters, with gracious words to say, we love you, we're proud of you, we're praying for you. They're also writing letters, sending mail to women in prison in order to lift them up. And, and I, I guess they're doing it for one reason, kindness. And the Spirit of God is all over those letters. Last word. I called a friend of mine this week, I think it was on Tuesday last week, who was a member of our last church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, on the east side of Atlanta. His name is Cliff Ramos. He's a retired public school teacher who was also a wrestling coach uh, in the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. This man, what a man, has won more state titles in wrestling than any other person, I think, in Georgia high school history, and now he's in the Hall of Fame there. And I remember the day I had the privilege of baptizing him. I think he was in his late 40s. I remember when he came forward, he was surrounded by these muscle men who were his wrestlers who had meant so much to him. I called him the other day. He's suffering from pancreatic cancer, and he's in his final stages. He's under hospice care now. And I called him to thank him. And he said, why, why are you thanking me? And I said, because you taught me something about random acts of kindness. And then I reminded him what he taught me. Every summer for about 10 years, Cliff Ramos and his best friend, for about two weeks, they would go down to the interstate, flip a coin, heads we go east, tails we go west, with no destination in mind, but a purpose in mind. They were going forth wherever God led them to do three acts of kindness every day the whole time they were gone. They didn't know where they were going. They simply knew why they were going. And every road they took, they would find someone who needed help, someone who needed food, someone who needed a tire changed, someone who needed their spirits lifted and so they'd strike out without a destination but a deep purpose. And everywhere they went, just kindness, random acts of kindness. In fact, Cliff Ramos wrote a book about it. You can Google it. If you find Coach Cliff Ramos, you can get the book, 
None of the proceeds go to him, of course. All the proceeds go to the co-op in his community to help his friends who are in need. And what's interesting is Cliff didn't just do that on the road. He did it at home. When I was his pastor, every week he and his men's group would take Krispy Kreme donuts down to a troubled neighborhood every morning early where teenagers would be waiting on the bus and they would share donuts and talk to them about life. And when I see his face, I see Christos. I see kindness. If you were to shake his hands, you would notice he's got calluses on his hands, but he's got mercy in his heart. I want to invite you to do something to join me this week. I, I want to up your game a little bit this week in the challenge. Along with praying for one person each day, as we've been doing for several weeks, I want you to find a way this week to do something random for somebody else for mercy's sake. It'll mean something to the one who receives it, I guarantee it, but it will change your heart as well. I want to invite you each day in the next week to do something randomly kind, loving for somebody who needs it. And you'll be blessed, and so will they. And they will know you by your fruit. And best of all, it will give glory to the one who has been kind to you. May it be so. In Jesus' name.